This is episode 45 of Sunday Morning Manga for Sunday, July 9, 2023. It is not safe for work. Let's get started. Welcome to Sunday Morning Manga. I am Derek S. McGrath. My pronouns are he, him, his. I live stream every Sunday, 11 a.m. Eastern, on Twitch and YouTube at Derek S. McGrath. A recording is available Sunday afternoons on YouTube. You can also listen to an audio-only version wherever you get your podcasts. You can find a transcript and links from today's episode at DerekSMcGrath.wordpress.com. Coffee and Patreon contributions are appreciated. Username for both is Derek S. McGrath. And you can email me, Derek.S.McGrath at gmail.com. Every Sunday, there is a live reaction to a newly released manga chapter, usually. But Bungo Stray Dogs has its fifth season premiering this Wednesday, July 12th. And I still haven't released my retrospective on season four. So let's do that today. And chapter 108 of the Bungo Stray Dogs manga came out last week, so let's talk about that too. Bungo Stray Dogs is written by Kaka Asagiri and illustrated by Sango Harukawa, among numerous other illustrators, with translation into English by Kevin Gifford and lettering by Bianca Pistillo. The Bungo Stray Dogs manga is distributed in English in the United States by Yen Press, available as an ebook at multiple vendors. A full list is available at yenpress.com. The anime adaptation by Studio Bones is directed by Takuya Igarashi and written by Yoji Enokido, with music by Taku Iwasaki. Before we talk about Chapter 108, let's look back at Season 4. This season ran from January 4 to March 29, 2023. I've been doing audio commentaries for each episode on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. And when I finished those audio commentaries, I wanted to do a retrospective on season four. I really didn't want to keep a season four retrospective to Bungo Stray Dogs as an audio only reaction, but I've struggled to make concise my thoughts about season four of Bungo Stray Dogs. I had wanted this to be an organized blog post with an accompanying video essay, and I didn't make the time I wanted to to really get all of that work finished. I think my strengths tend to be more to audio-only versions for this kind of an essay, so that's why I can produce for right now. I could go on for hours about what does and doesn't work in Season 4 of Bungo Stray Dogs, so to better organize my thoughts, I broke it down into three sections. The good, the bad, and the bizarre. And to wrap up the discussion, I'll include a coda at the end about what to expect when Season 5 gets widespread release starting Wednesday, July 12, 2023, including a breakdown for how many chapters of the manga I think Season 5 will adapt in what is a limited 11-episode run. Let's start with the good, and that would be Episodes 1, 2, 3 of Season 4 
because they were all really good. I'll say more about my problems with previous light novel adaptations that Bungo Stray Dogs has done, but season 4, starting with an adaptation of the Rompo and Fukuzawa light novel, that was an excellent choice. I had expected this to be adapted, but I thought it would have been halfway through season 3 during the scene when Rompo is at the hospital worried about Fukuzawa. I wish that was what we got, but it does work well enough waiting for the adaptation until season 4, and the choice to do so to establish why, especially in season 5 and maybe if we get a season 6, why you and the audience should care about the relationship between Rambo and Fukuzawa. It's not as if the series hadn't given us reasons to care about their interactions, but I think you did need this light novel adapted to understand Fukuzawa's role as an adoptive father to Rompo and how the armed detective agency formed around their relationship. Plus, given that this adaptation went through revisions in order to connect it more clearly to what we see far, far later with The Decay of the Angel, that stuff wasn't in the light novel, and we'll get to that, including a lot of that that was already in the Rompo and Fukuzawa light novel, and then revealing, oh, all that stuff was actually related to the Decay of the Angel. That works, but we'll talk more about it in the bazaar about what doesn't quite work. Beyond how well the light novel adaptation set up season four, it just worked on its own as well. As a story by itself, as a mini arc, it just works. The animation is crisp, it's dynamic, it's funny, the acting in the Japanese dub is excellent, Landon McDonald is really good as Rompo in the English dub, the plot is easy to follow and mostly doesn't drag, and it wraps up in a satisfying way, finally giving us the origins of the Armed Detective Agency. And bonus, it builds on what we already know about Fukuzawa's history, about Rompo's personality. It does world building to explain more about the government, the history of abilities, and it brings back Natsume. Going off script for a moment, this is what the Eraserhead origin story in My Hero Academia Vigilante should have been and wasn't. And this is what it should have been when Studio Bones adapted part of that story into My Hero Academia, but didn't. And if the rumors pan out and Vigilantes does get an adaptation, it's too little too late. That was supposed to be a story about how Aizawa became who he is. And it pretty much is what we already could have figured out on our own. And then only got worse when the Aizawa origin story now diverges to actually be a Kurogiri origin story. Which, that was an annoying Bayon switch. The Rompo and Fukuzawa story stayed the Rompo and Fukuzawa story. It didn't suddenly turn into a Fyodor Dostoevsky origin story or a Fukuchi origin story. I appreciate which changes were made to this light novel adaptation to make it fit into the larger Decay of the Angel arc that we've gotten in Season 4, that we're going to get into Season 5, and based on how that's shaping up is not going to end until we get through Season 6, which... 
Man, and I thought the cannibalism arc dragged. We get quite a number of revisions in this adaptation. We have Fukuchi arriving earlier. We tie in the organization V, which is in the original light novel, and it's just called V, and they never explain who they really are. We finally had the anime confirm V is the Decay of the Angel from the manga. I'm not a fan of including Fyodor Dostoevsky in this light novel adaptation, but like I said, we'll get to that when we talk about the bizarre parts of season four. As I said a moment ago, probably the best part of this adaptation is, hey, Studio Bones understands color theory. The best part of this light novel adaptation is that use of color. My red-green colorblindness was kicking my ass the entire time watching. If you go back through the audio commentaries, that's a historical encapsulation of the dawning realization for me of, wow, my colorblindness is really bad. I didn't know half of this was not in full color. I thought this was just an aesthetic choice. But once the anime goes back to a full color episode, when color comes into Rompo's world, once he puts on the eyeglasses, it's using those visuals to reinforce what the story is communicating. That's an excellent moment when the visuals, when the adaptation are serving the story rather than the other way around. And yeah, I'm one of those elitists who thinks if you're just doing pretty animation just for the sake of pretty animation and not having it serve a purpose to comment on its own story it seems like you're just making a spectacle or a quick gag i want the visual conceits to be inextricable from the story i want the two to go together so perfectly that you can't do it any other way but there are some parts that I wasn't quite a fan of and not to get into the negatives too early because Kaka Asagiri has his work cut out for him. He's writing an ongoing manga story, not an anime series. His focus is how do I write a good chapter month to month? How do I write a light novel that will compel the reader to go to the next page? How do you keep creating cliffhangers to keep the audience coming back? However, if this season had been unambiguously just Rompo season, I think that would have been an improvement. If we start the light novel adaptation and had to focus on Rompo and continued focusing solely on him for the rest of the season, that would have been an improvement. The challenge that Bungo Stray Dogs has is that it's an ensemble story. And this is an arc where all of our characters are separated, so our focus is divided. So we have to have Rompo disappear so that Atushi can take center stage, and then Atushi has to disappear so Yosano can take center stage, and then she has to disappear so we can start figuring out who's Sigma, who is Fukuchi, what is his backstory with Fukuzawa. It's a lot. Rompo disappears so quickly once Gogol makes his move and we see that divided focus from the beginning if you go to episode four and look at the opening title sequence for the rest of season four that is a visual demonstration that this season didn't know which character to focus on 
from watching the opening, I would think our focus is supposed to be on Atsushi, who is typically our main character. And look, he's running across the bridge. He's running towards the viewer. He's running alongside Kyoka, which, hey, Kyoka still exists. Yet this season has so little for Atsushi to do that the only way they could figure out how do we show Atsushi as having agency was to show the fight he gets into with Akutagawa and Fukuchi, which we didn't get into in season four, and we're not going to get into until season five. That opening is so divided and focused where Rompo barely registers, where Yosano should be the secondary focus for the season, not only because of her long-standing association with Rompo, but just given how much more impactful her backstory is as shown this season. So, if all things were ideal, this season would have been just Rompo, given how strong a start he makes in the light novel adaptation. And his actions are pivotal to what comes next in season 5, to have Rompo fade away into obscurity feels like a misstep. Season 5 is going to do really well at the beginning to bring him back into the story, and if, as I imagine, this season, season 5, wraps up how I think it will, Rompo will be back in the story again, and I'm not going to like what they're going to do with him at the end of season 5, but we'll see when we get there, which won't be for another 11 weeks about. But speaking of Rompo, it was the focus on him that gave us one of the other strengths of season four, that being the excellent Ogre arc. Ogre has been one of my favorite characters in Bungo Stray Dogs for some time. He's just such a delightful little shit. Simultaneously, the smartest person in the room and the one who is the most in over his head. When I watched the episode when he breaks out of the bank, a friend of mine watching with me had told me how busted Ogre's ability is, seeing as Ogre can smuggle Atushi and Kyoka out of the same prison by just having them steal money from the bank, which then activates his ability to erase any evidence that a crime was committed so that Atushi and Kyoka are practically invisible because they're in the middle of committing a crime that is evidence, and now he has erased the evidence as the crime is unfolding. It is a quick moment to show Ogre is someone you shouldn't underestimate and in the hands of a good writer is a threatening opponent. Kind of sucks that we had to then remove him, that Ongo has to escort him out of the story, We'll talk a bit more about that. I hope Ogre will return in Season 5. I have some ideas about how that will happen, but we'll get to that. It also helps that, aside from Yosano, Ogre has one of the most heart-wrenching backstories we get this season. I will have a lot of criticisms for how Studio Bones adapted this season, but... I think they improved upon the bank escape chapters of the manga if just for how much they slowed down that story, which is weird because with Studio Bones, I think sometimes they rush stuff, sometimes they slow down too much. This was just right. Slowing down in the bank episode 
when we open on Ogre in prison and he's writing notes to the deceased Yoko Mizo bragging about how good he has it and we see what's on screen and it's heightening all of that for the sake of comedy that he's bragging about look at the luxury I have look at the good meals I have look at the great reading I have and it's just miserable until Ogre in comedic fashion rips apart the reading material they handed him and discards it and then studio bones goes in to obliterate our hearts that they devastate the audience by just having ogre not able to continue this charade and just collapse into tears all of that originates from harukawa's artwork in the manga but when you add the excellent acting behind ogre where you have Takashi Kuseo in the Japanese dub and Mick Lauer in the English dub and then the musical cues by Taku Iwasaki it makes the moment hit harder than how quickly I could get through that same scene skimming through the manga slowing it down at that opening and then just stopping everything cold to show Ogre crying it rips your heart out and then rips your heart out again when Yoko Mizo returns to advise Ogre how to get out of the bank. Emotionally, that's really effective. Given how well Studio Bones did adapting Ogre's story, I'm curious whether we're going to get what is part three of Ogre's story. Part one was his duel against Rompo. Part two was him helping Atushi and Kyoka escape. Part three is, what does Ogre do now? And that is an adaptation of a bonus special chapter from the manga, chapter 78.5. I don't think we're going to get that in season five. We're going to do an episode by episode breakdown for how I think they're going to structure season five. But given the breakneck speed for a season of only 11 episodes... I don't see them devoting half, a third, or a fourth of an episode to the Ogre parts. If they did, it would have to be a post credit scene, which you would rush it. You could do it if you came up short in an episode. I kind of doubt they will. So, if they can't do it as an episode, and since they're only doing 11 episodes, if they could make it an OVA and release it at any point, because it is a story that works even if you only see it at the end of Season 5, yeah, I'd really like that. And maybe it's a little too short for an OVA, and I wouldn't want them to pad it out like they did the Kunikita Aya OVA, where we throw Chuya in for no reason, so... If you want an entire OVA for Ogre, you could pair it with another chapter adaptation. You could adapt the gag chapter, chapter 64.5, if you're short on time. But seriously, just given how critical I am of the Bungo Stray Dogs anime, you really need to read the manga to get more of this story and see how much more affected the manga typically is than the anime in storytelling. The Ogre stuff is both emotional and hilarious. And seeing that as these two bonus chapters, both featuring Ogre, show him interacting with so many characters, interacting with Poe, with Katai, with Lovecraft, with Motojiro, it just shows what a dynamic character Ogre can be. 
he can alternate between the straight man and the wacky guy depending on the setting and which other characters are around him. That's truly one of the best ways to write a character, someone who has such a clear personality but who can work in almost any situation if you need him to be the one keeping everyone organized or he needs to be the one panicking and freaking out about everything going wrong. He, I mean, look at the scenes with Kyoka just to demonstrate someone who can be at one moment on top of his game and at the next moment having to just surrender to this little girl who is about to kill him. I'm going to skip a bit of discussion about Yosano's backstory, not because it isn't good and isn't heart-wrenching and gets the audience's attention and emotions, but because I really can't add anything more about it. I do have some qualms about how the anime uses Yosano's story to stage Tachihara's revelation, so if you're interested, you can go to my audio commentary for episode 10, available on YouTube, Substack, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'll wrap up talking about the good of this season to complement the voice acting. The Japanese voices for Gogol and Ogre were really good, credit to Takashi Kuseo and Takahito Koyasu. And the English voices for Gogol, Ogre, and Teruko are all good. Bungo Stray Dogs fans are just mean to the English voice actor for Gogol. Heck, I can't even find their name online, so if someone could clarify for me who voiced Gogol in the English dub, I would appreciate it. I loved their performance. I thought that was perfect. It was the right mix of Mark Hamill as the Joker and Michael McConaughey as Schwartzwald from The Big O. That mix of crazed clown serial killer and philosophical thoughtful individual who wants to dismantle and destroy everything. It was such a disturbing mix and the English dub really handled it well. And again, I already complimented Mick Lauer's excellent work as Ogre, but Jeremy Lee shocked me as Teruko. She's already popped up repeatedly in the English dub. She's Kyoka, she's played additional characters. I didn't expect her as Teruko. I didn't expect her to start channeling Patty from Soul Eater when playing Teruko, and it helped to elevate a character I really don't like. I despise the hunting dogs. I don't quite mean that as criticism of them writing for them. They are the antagonists this season. You're not supposed to like them. I'll talk more about it in the bad section coming up, but the hunting dogs never clearly showed me enough of a vibe as villains given that they are the fascistic military force and I don't think the anime has done a great job clarifying these are the bad guys you're not supposed to like them I'll get to that so what I'm trying to say to conclude this section on a compliment is that if you can take Teruko who I really don't like and had Jeremy Lee nailed the part and I'm into it, that's really good and a compliment for what this dub has done, especially because I haven't been a fan of the English dub for various other reasons that I won't get into right now. So let's move on to the negatives. 
As I said, I'm not a fan of the hunting dogs, but that feels awkward to list them as a bad when that badness originates from the original manga. I guess what I wanted was for the anime adaptation to emphasize more the tension about how these are the Law and Order characters who claim that they are here to protect people and yet they engage in unethical practices and that makes them straight up fascist. I want something more that could be a meditation on what do you do with characters who claim to have noble pursuits but in their actions and the results they want to achieve are lying to you. I want to see this as a commentary about policing in Japan, how we can apply that to policing in the US, how we understand fascism, how Fukuchi's arc is going to be a character who is so much a problematic portrayal of post-traumatic stress and the lack of ethics in warfare, but also how this is yet another story that takes legitimate concerns about how we don't care for veterans, how we want to have perpetual warfare for the sake of keeping people afraid, and yet turns the results of those problems that takes a traumatized war veteran and turns them into the villain, not because they're trying to dismantle a glaring problem, but because they go overboard and decide to just take over everything and act as a fascist and become the thing they hate, where you take a legitimate criticism and then warp it to say, oh, well, now we can discount this legitimate criticism and act like it's no big deal because the avatar representing all of this problem is himself flawed and therefore we can ignore the problem. Not a fan of that approach. Like, it's the Killmonger from Black Panther approach of you take legitimate grievances, but then have those grievances attached to someone who crosses a line and now they're the bad guy, and now you can either ignore a lot of their complaints or have your protagonist, T'Challa in the case of Black Panther, I guess Fukuzawa, Atsushi, Rampo, and others in Bungo, and now have them move forward with what Fukuchi wants to achieve, but do it the quote-unquote correct way. I guess that there was a way for me to ignore the problems of portraying the hunting dogs. It would be the fact that pretty much no one in Bungo Stray Dogs is an admirable character. Like, they have admirable qualities, but the agency members are potentially as criminal as any other characters in the story. The Mafia is run by Mori, so yeah, enough said there. The Guild is a take that at American arrogance and its obsessions with warfare. The Rats are an ill-defined group. They're ill-defined in their goals. I mean, even at this point, Theodore is just a serial killer and... That is not helping his characterization in chapter 108, but we'll get to that. I really didn't like that chapter, and I have a lot to say on it. We'll learn more about the Decay of the Angel, but the problems with them tie into the problems with the hunting dogs, because, spoiler, they're the same group. 
they're run by the same person. They have pretty much the same members, or at least Fukuchi is trying to merge the two to have the same members. Or the hunting dogs are just an extension of what the Decay of the Angel is trying to accomplish, effectively making it a subsidiary of the Decay of the Angel. That's why I have such a problem seeing through anything with the hunting dogs, because I'm thinking... If any of you have any noble goals, if any of you really believe this patriotic bullshit you're saying, you really don't understand you're being played by a terrorist who is trying to install himself as a one-world dictator. I'll talk more about the problems adapting the hunting dogs in a moment, but how about we just talk about Fukuchi first? I can't tell whether it would have been better for Studio Bones to just flat out say that Fukuchi is the leader of both the Decay of the Angel and the Hunting Dogs. That you have a scene showing it's Fukuchi writing into the book, or Fukuchi standing alongside Gogol and Theodore and Bram Stoker in the opening title sequence. Or is it that Studio Bones thinks it is already obvious that Fukuchi is the bad guy and then control the Decay of the Angel. I'll say more about how I don't think that's the case, seeing as the story wants you to start thinking that Ongo might be in charge of them, and then turns out he's not. But think about it like this. Studio Bones has made Fukuchi such an obvious bad guy that it's difficult to drag out that mystery that works so much better in a serialized manga that came out one chapter per month, where you can keep asking who's Kamui, who is in charge of the Decay of the Angel. The anime is rushing through episodes. It's one per week, and our focus goes from Yosano, then Tachihara, then Sky Casino, and it's like, we're not really slowing down to appreciate who Fukuchi is, what he means to Fukuzawa, and why we shouldn't look at him as the real bad guy. If things pan out as I expect, by episode 3 of season 5, I anticipate that's when the anime will reveal Fukuchi is running the Decay of the Angel. If we're already getting that in episode 3 of season 5, after the manga has been out this long, with that information already known, that's not much of a mystery. I almost would have referred the anime just say, look, you read the manga, you know who this is, we're not going to surprise you, we're making it painfully clear, we already showed in the opening title sequence that he's in a fight with Atsushi and Nakutagawa, we're already showing in the poster for season 5 that he's in a fight with Fukuzawa, this is the bad guy. We're not going to make it unambiguous that he is the Decay of the Angel. It's odd then that Studio Bones avoids trying to tease out that mystery. And there was a way they could have kept this mysterious where you're not sure it's Fukuchi and it would have been to have kept the stuff they cut from the manga. I mean, granted, Fukuchi spends most of the series, anime or manga, as the Law & Order guy. That could make you think, oh, if he's so obsessed with Law & Order, this must be a trick, he's not really, he's the bad guy. Or, it's a way to throw you out the sense and think, oh, it's a false flag, it can't be him, we haven't even seen him talk about or interact with Theodore, Sigma, Ogre, Gogol, anyone else in the Decay of the Angel. But, 
again, it's weird. As I said, I don't think the manga has yet shown Fukuchi in canon, not in the gag comics, ever interacting with any of those characters from the Decay of the Angel. We haven't even gotten a flashback showing how did Fukuchi come to know Theodore? How did they come to work together? If the anime had just stuck to the manga, I think you could have thrown the audience off the scent because of just how damn goofy Fukuchi is and how you would look at him and think, yeah, this guy is too weird and creepy and kind of silly to be in charge of this entire operation. When we lose a lot of the stuff about Fukuchi in the adaptation for the anime, it makes it more obvious that Fukuchi in the anime is the bad guy. I mean, I didn't like the stuff from the manga with Fukuchi. I didn't find it particularly funny. But it was at least affected to make you not realize he's in charge of the decay because he's acting like such a fool all the time that you think, yeah, it can't be him. The anime removes so much about Fukuchi that it's supposed to lower your guard and not think he's the main bad guy. They removed most of his drunkenness. When we first meet him in the adaptation of the Rampo and Fukuzawa light novel, he's not as all how he has been described as that period of time. In that year, he was supposed to be a loud, proud drunk. That's how Rampo described him. Like... Rompo describes him as he got so drunk and then he urinated on the front door of our building. That's who Fukuchi is supposed to be. And instead, at this time period, he's this stern guy calling up Fukuzawa saying, join the military. And Fukuzawa saying, I need your assistance. And Fukuchi looking all mysterious and smirking as if this is all going according to plan. And it's like... He might as well have been holding up a giant sign with blinking neon saying, I am your bad guy this season. We don't get to see in Fukuchi at all in season four what is the combination of his PTSD and his coldness. We don't get moments to make us think, oh, this guy's kind of goofy. Maybe we should like him. And then we don't get the tonal whiplash where we get the stupid fart joke. It's going to be bothersome when Season 5 brings back Fukuchi and probably is going to bring him back as a completely different kind of character. That should be complex. It should be the equivalent of Ogre showing this is a complex character with multiple sides. And instead, Season 5 is going to bring Fukuchi before the UN where he's hung over and starts vomiting on the podium. I mean, in the manga, it's such a Gintama-style gag that I thought the manga set up well enough because up to that point it had shown Fukuchi can be mysterious, can be brutal, can be militaristic, but also can be silly and goofy and not in his right mind. I don't think Studio Bones has foreshadowed any of that well in the anime. He's just kind of a bland antagonist. Even his interactions with Fukuzawa lacked a lot more the immaturity. In the manga, Fukuchi is kind of needling Fukuzawa saying, you know, there's that girl back in our home village. She never contacted her. She really wanted to marry you. And Fukuzawa is just stoic saying, change the topic. Like, we needed more of those gags to show that there is something else to Fukuchi 
so that we then realize, oh, a lot of this is a mask that covers over not only his PTSD, but also the fact that he is really corrupt and really dangerous and really wants to be a fascist. <sighs> but enough about the problems adapting Fukuchi. Let's talk about the anime and how it really gave the short end of the stick to the other members of the Decay of the Angel. This anime needs more Gogol. I admit that is selfish on my part. I mean, you give me a clown character, I'm right there. I want to see more of them. And this is such a minor criticism on my part because it's a problem in the manga as well. Based on what I imagine will happen once the anime adapts the Merceau prison duel arc, I think we're going to have very little Gogol in this season too. I appreciate that with Gogol, you want to be sparing in your use of him, just given how exciting, entertaining, murderous, threatening he is, the great voice acting you've given him. He makes such an impression that I think without having his presence be longer, it is harder to get a read on what he is all about, and it's good it comes to a point where manga or anime, one of them is going to have to give us more Gogol to really spell out, this is the kind of person he is, this is the part that's the act, this is the part that isn't, so that once you give closure to Gogol's story and show how he accomplishes or fails to accomplish his goal, yeah, we kind of need to know who this character really is and not keep being jerked around thinking he's playing an act and no, that's not an act, this is who he really is. So, I wish we had more Gogol, but that's not the biggest problem with Season 4. The biggest problem with Season 4 is Sigma, or rather, all of the arc that was given to Sigma. I have more complaints after this one, but before I get to them, I want to talk about this one first, because I think all of Sigma is the biggest problem with Season 4. The manga is so much better at portraying Sigma. I go more into this during the episodic audio commentaries, but removing the scene of Sigma rigging the game in favor of a casino patron saps so much from their character. Sigma sees a customer who lost all of their money on a bet and they were trying to get that money for what they claim was surgery for a relative, life-saving surgery. To show Sigma immediately come up with an excuse to throw out that bet, get the money back to the customer, have the customer do a new bet, and have the customer win, it shows, if not compassion for other people and their struggles, it shows Sigma is shrewd, intelligent, swift, able to improvise, and can read people, all valuable for running a casino. It's almost like the anime took that scene out because of how foolish Sigma has to act for the sake of chapter 108 to go as it does. Because I'll get to this, but I can't read chapter 108 and not think this isn't Sigma. You would completely rebrand the character because this is the outcome you want and you realize Sigma wouldn't act this way. So you had the anime remove the one instance that shows just how smart Sigma is to make them look like a fool so that chapter 108 can end as it does. 
But we'll get to that when I talk about Chapter 108. Needless to say, when Kaka Asagiri was at Anime Expo, and he talked about how Sigma is one of his favorite characters, I was stunned reading that quote. Asagiri has taken so much away from Sigma, has sapped them of so much of the competence they've already shown, that it almost feels like Asagiri didn't want Sigma to be too intelligent, too powerful. So he awkwardly backpedaled and made Sigma worse at his job. And as a slight aside, given that I am talking about Sigma, I hate how the anime staged Atushi and Sigma facing off against Hawthorne. In the manga, it looked like Atushi was ready to block to protect Sigma, and instead Sigma gets stabbed anyway. The anime stages it instead so that Atushi is gearing up to shield only himself instead of shielding Sigma. That's a misread on Atushi. This is the character who has risked his life for Dazai, for Kyoka, even for Akutagawa. And he already just established, hi, we need to bring Sigma in alive because we're going to need the information they have in order to exonerate the agency. And Atushi sees Hawthorne and Atushi doesn't think, hey, I'm a tiger, I'm invincible, I can handle this, I'll go shield Sigma. Uh, that Atushi immediately thought Hawthorne is here to attack me instead of thinking, oh, Hawthorne already attacked Fitzgerald, he's probably going to attack Sigma, I better protect him. This is such an odd staging choice, and it makes Atushi look all the more incompetent and harder to cheer on as a protagonist. I get it. We started season four with Kunikita telling Atushi that he depends too much on his tiger strength, and that he needs to be smarter and work more carefully without depending on his superpower. And that same problem emerges yet again in chapter 108, which we'll discuss in a moment. But if this is your focus, that we want to keep reinforcing Kuniki that told Atushi don't over-depend on your superpower, then use that in this scene. Have Atushi try to shield Sigma with his tiger ability, and fail. Show Atushi was a second too late to protect Sigma. And when he fails, it shows Atushi needs to keep learning this lesson, that he needs to be smarter and be a better fighter without depending on his powers. So that once he's able to do something without needing his Tiger abilities, once he then can do it with his Tiger abilities, then he's really unstoppable. For crying out loud, Dan Slot figured this out on his run on She-Hulk. It's obvious. If you depower and get stronger, once you power up, now you're even stronger because you've done the training as a quote-unquote normal person. Let me wrap up about the bad this season, and then we'll look again at the hunting dogs. I won't get into much about Tachihara here. But I can say scrubbing out a lot of his family's backstory from the anime was a mistake. I won't get into all of that though because I hope that it's just being delayed in order to bring it into season 5. We will see Tachihara confronting Fukuchi 
it would be a lot of information to put into one episode, but if you built an entire episode just on Tachihara and put his backstory in there, if Studio Bones took that opportunity, they could bring up all of Tachihara's family history right there. While I'm annoyed that season four barely tapped into that family history, maybe it would be better to just delay it until you get to what is Tachihara's most important story, and that is his fight against Fukuchi. So again, I'm going to suspend judgment about how season four screwed up Tachihara pending how well I see season five handle him. What about the rest of the hunting dogs? Well, I just don't like them. They are loud, annoying, their personalities are one note, they largely lack complexity. I want this anime to make me care about them. They're fascists. But if we're going to have to spend a season with them, at least try to do something with them. Because season 5 is going to show you how Teruko, Juno, and Tachihara become conflicted once they learn what Fukuchi is really planning. But you gotta do more to show that potential. I never got a sense that we should be admiring what these fascists have as goals while realizing, oh, you're fascist, which means you don't really care about these goals because you're doing something really horrendously awful to achieve them. We aren't given a moment to see any noble pursuits they have. Calling them hunting dogs might actually be a decent description because once you learn their backstories, none of these characters have any noble pursuits. Tachihara already told us he was a criminal and he got arrested and was given the option of serving his country or going to jail and he decided, well, my brother served the country, I might as well do it too and maybe my family will like me then. It shows Tachihara didn't have any of that patriotism, in this case a really, really bad form of patriotism. Juno in Season 5 is going to tell you that he was a criminal like Tachihara and the only reason he joined the hunting dogs was that he realized it would give him more opportunities to abuse people instead of just gain into fights as a criminal, he could now be a police officer and hurt people. You know, that would almost be a shocking indictment of policing, but it instead comes across as, oh, so Fukuchi is just one of the bad apples and we're just going to pretend he didn't spoil the whole bunch. It's just these isolated instances you can trust all of these police characters. It's just the hunting dogs that are the problem. No, that is just really bad writing. I almost would have preferred that you made the hunting dogs have some admirable qualities. The story tries. I mean, you had Teruko saying, don't harm the civilians on Sky Casino. And then she turns around and gets into a brutal fight that ends with her beating up employees on the ship. Why did we do that? Juno is just as vicious, I guess, to show that, in contrast, how honorable Tetuo is in comparison. But when we get to Season 5 and get the Cry for Juno arc that makes him like a bad Gintama villain, it's gonna be so rushed. It's gonna be, we hate Juno, we hate Juno, we hate Juno. Oh, Juno just got defeated and is gonna die 
you should now cry for Juno and realize he was actually a good person. No, he wasn't. He threatened the cafe master. He's not a good guy. I'm not going to say he got what he had coming to him, but this is literature. That's more karmic. It's not, oh, he was actually a good guy and now I feel bad. It's like, wow, Juno was willing to work with the fascists. And then when the fascists overplayed his hand, Juno now realized, oh, the leopards are now eating my face. You should sympathize with me. No, you made your bet. Go lie in it. Ugh. These are problems in the manga as well, but for the anime, that's an adaptation, which means I had hoped they would find ways in the acting or the animation to clarify something to make us like them, or to clarify how they differ in their goals and methods from the agency so that we know why we shouldn't like them. Instead, the anime was like, here are the hunting dogs, they're just like the agency because they have wacky personalities, they're just like the mafia, the guild, the rats, you like all of them, right? And it's like, no, these are fascists. I know I keep repeating that word like a parrot right now, but in our current time period, it's kind of hard to cheer on a extra military force as denying civil liberties in order to achieve their ends and then you find out the one in charge actually has bigger ambitions to be a world dictator kind of hard to find anything appealing about them even as antagonists they're not even good villains where you can say yeah they're a villain but boy do they have style every time the hunting dogs musical theme plays i just cringe thinking stop giving them this song it's not working it's not making me like them we're not given enough to tell us why we shouldn't like them we're not given enough to show how they're not like the mafia the guild or the rats we need something to show like when tachihara reunites with hirotsu and gin that was kind of supposed to show that Tachihara found his real family with the Mafia, except I don't even think that really works, given that Tachihara's story is going to be caping for Mori, which, good God, you should never be doing that. Why would you ever say anything good about Mori? But it was at least a moment trying to show the hunting dogs are not Tachihara's family. He doesn't belong there. They're not good. And it just doesn't work. Even the way they introduced the hunting dogs came across so much like the equivalent of how Atushi first met the agency members. It's treated as this silly moment as if advertising these are your new favorite characters and no they're not. I never get a sense of how they stand differently from the mafia, the guild, and the rats. And I don't ever see a sign of vulnerability to make us come to like them. We don't really get with Tetsuo. He's probably the one we shouldn't like the most, and by the end of Season 5, you're instead asked, no, you should really like Teruko and Juno because they're the ones who are really conflicted. It doesn't hold up. We get a little bit of sympathy for Tetsuo when confronting the Cafe Master, but even that scene annoyed me because it removed the cafe master's wife, so that was disappointing. It just made the cafe master finally agree to give up Lucy's location for even less sensical reasons. At least when the cafe master gave up because, in part, they were threatening his wife, it was, okay, Juno playing back off saying, we will go after your wife, and Tetsuo saying, if you help us, we will make sure Lucy is not punished. 
If I can end this section with one more bad point, I think the anime lost some ambiguity about Ango. Granted, it was already lost if you read the manga before seeing events unfold in the anime. Maybe I would like season four more if it teased out more the mystery about whether you can trust Ango. Especially because season five is going to make you realize no, you really shouldn't have trusted Ango, but we'll get to that. That just leaves the bizarre of this season, and I'll keep it to just this point. How did Theodore pop up in the Rompo and Fukuzawa light novel? This has been a question for a lot of the fans. Why does he look the same? Is it slow aging? Is he just someone who, you know, how there are young people who look like adults even before they hit 18, and then because of that quality they just always look the same no matter what age they are Fyodor Dostoevsky is the Paul Rudd of the Bungo Stray Dogs universe is it that Fyodor has slow aging or is it just lazy character design choices where we're going to make him look the same across all ages regardless when he appears with the release of chapter 108 there has been a fan theory online that I don't quite buy myself and we'll discuss it in a moment, but if as chapter 108 suggested initially that Fyodor Dostoevsky has split himself into multiple personas, could that work like he's Moon Knight and he can switch between different personas and maybe each persona only when existence ages? So when Fyodor takes over, he's aging. But then when he switches back to his other self, now the other self is the one that's aging and that doubles his lifespan. I mean, I don't think that works because I can say with almost 100% certainty that Fyodor Dostoevsky in Bungo Stray Dogs was lying when he said he had multiple personalities. So why does Fyodor Dostoevsky look the same across all years in the series? I don't know. And that is pretty much the last thought I have about season four. So... Let's move on and talk about Season 5. Again, spoiler warning for the entire Bungo Stray Dogs manga, as well as potential spoilers for how I think Season 5 is going to turn out. What should you expect for Season 5? You should expect Studio Bones is going to rush this. Studio Bones confirmed the season will be only 11 episodes. I've tried to imagine what would be for me the best way that Bones could fit as much of the manga as possible into this season without rushing things too much. And the only way I could see that working is if, like in season 4, you end season 5 with a cliffhanger. If there's any good news, the cliffhanger for season 5 will be a lot more compelling than the one for season 4. I hated that cliffhanger. I hated the, okay, so Dazai and Fyodor are still in prison. Atushi has not fallen into the coma, which would have been a better way to end season 4. And, oh, Gogol saves Sigma. That's it. 
like that was such a dull way of doing a cliffhanger if you want to do a cliffhanger for season five you need to make it one that's going to want the audience to come back if this were pan out as best as i would like it to be season five is not going to have enough time to end with certain cliffhangers it doesn't have enough time to end with Fukuchi unleashing one order. It doesn't have enough time to show Atushi facing off against Akutagawa. It doesn't have enough time to show Theodore gain his revenge on Dazai and Sigma. There's not enough time to wrap up Fukuchi's story, the vampire story, and the prison duel. The only thing left that season 5 could do that could get the audience to come back and be excited to see how things are going to pay off in season six, we need to see the culmination of Fukuchi and Fukuzawa's duel. And that means we need to see Fukuchi apparently killing Fukuzawa. This season has to end with Fukuzawa apparently dying. And I say apparently because enough people who read chapter 108 which came out last week, pointed out something very important. If Fukuzawa was actually dead, as he appears to be in that chapter, then that would mean Atushi and the other agency members wouldn't be able to use their abilities as well as they do. Now, if you read the light novel 55 Minutes, they make a big deal about how an ability turns off once a body has been dead for so many seconds, and you have that many seconds to have an ability turn off and then resuscitate the person and then you have so many seconds before that ability is reinstated upon the person coming back to life. So it is possible that Fukuzawa's ability is still in effect so many seconds after he's dead, but I don't quite buy that. I think Fukuzawa looks pretty dead in that scene, but since Atsushi's abilities are still working, this is a thing, that Fukuzawa is still alive. Keep hanging on to that hope, Fukuzawa fans. But if Season 5 does end with Fukuchi defeating Fukuzawa, then that means we're going to end before all the major events, before Fukuchi opens one order, before Atushi leaves Teruko to face off against Akutagawa, before we see what Akutagawa does with Aya and Bram Stoker, and before we see Theodore and Chuya survive being drowned by Dazai. Now, I say this is what I anticipate or what I expect will happen this season. I'm not going to say this is what I predict because when people say they have a prediction, predictions are usually bullshit. And I say all of this because this isn't the first time I try to anticipate what happens in a season. Back in episode 40 of Sunday Morning Manga on June 3rd, 2023, I offered one estimate for how season 5 would split up its episodes to adapt as much of the manga as possible. When I did that estimate, I had assumed that season 5 would be 12 episodes and 3 of those would be devoted to a light novel adaptation, but season 5 has been confirmed to be only 11 episodes and people who were at Anime Expo already saw Season 5, Episode 1, and based on what I read, they confirmed it's not a light novel adaptation. I'm assuming that's accurate, and I'm assuming there won't be any light novel adapted this season. I got this wrong the last time I did a Season 5 breakdown. 
don't expect what I'm about to say will be correct either, but this is still a fun exercise to try. And I would love to hear your thoughts. How do you think Season 5 will break down in terms of how many chapters will be adapted in just 11 episodes? Let me know in the comments or email me, derek.s.mcgrath at gmail.com. So, my guess at the Season 5 breakdown. If I had to guess how it would break out the season, I imagine it would be as follows. I can mostly break down each of these 11 episodes into two to three act stories, usually with a cliffhanger at the end of each episode. Let me go episode by episode, first saying which and how many chapters the episode will adapt, then I'll summarize which events will transpire in each episode. Once again, spoiler warning for the Bungo Stray Dogs manga as well as potentially spoiling the breakdown for Season 5. Episode 1, adapting chapters 78 to 79, two chapters. Act 1, Atushi learns something about Sigma. Act 2, we see Gogol's conspiracy. Act 3, the agency members are kidnapped by Kamui. Cliffhanger, Fukuzawa confronts Kamui. Episode 2, adapting chapters 80, 81, and 82, and part of 83, so about three chapters. Act 1, Rompo exposes the decay of the angels to the public. Act 2, Fukuchi speaks before the UN. Cliffhanger, Rompo and Atsushi face off against the real Kamui. Episode 3, Adapting chapters 83 and 83.5, two chapters total. Act 1, Fukuchi versus Atsushi. Act 2, Fukuchi's backstory. Cliffhanger, Akutagawa joins the brawl. Episode 4, adapting chapters 84, 85, 86, 87, and the first part of 88, so about 4.5 chapters. Act 1, Fukuchi defeats Atsushi and Akutagawa. Act 2, Fukuchi unleashes Bram Stoker. Cliffhanger, the vampire outbreak begins. Episode 5, adapting the rest of Chapter 88, as well as Chapters 89, 89.5, and 90, so about 3.5 chapters. Act 1, the hunting dogs make their next moves. Act 2, Fukuchi versus Tachihara. Cliffhanger, Tachihara is vampired. Episode 6, adapting chapters 91, 92, 92.5, and 93, so four chapters. Act 1, the agency reunites and Aya returns. Act 2, Fukuchi reveals Bram Stoker to Juno. Act 3, Juno versus Fukuchi and Akutagawa. Cliffhanger, Aya witnesses Juno get vampired. Episode 7, adapting chapters 94, 94.5, and 95, three chapters. Act 1, the agency readies their plan. Act 2, Fukuchi acquires one order. Cliffhanger, Gogol rise at Merceau. Episode 8, adapting chapters 95.5, 97, and 98, three chapters. And... Yes, it is chapters 95.5, 97, and 98. From what I remember, there is no chapter 96. 
unless you change 95.5 to be chapter 96. But let's just get to the Act 1 2 cliffhanger breakdown. Act 1 Gogol begins the prison duel with Dazai and Theodore picking their partners. Act 2 Aya kidnaps Bram Stoker. Cliffhangers Kenji intervenes to protect Aya, and Theodore reveals his partner. Episode 9 Adapting Chapters 99, 100, and 100.5, three chapters. Act 1, Teruko kidnaps Atushi. Act 2, Kenji vs. Tetsuo, with Kenji's backstory introduced. Cliffhanger, the end of Kenji and Tetsuo's fight. Episode 10, Adapting Chapters 101, 102, and 102.5, three chapters. Act 1, Dazai drowns Theodore and Chuya. Act 2, Akutagawa corners Aya and Bram Stoker. Cliffhanger, Fukuchi attacks Tanazaki and Kunikida. Episode 11, Adapting Chapters 103, 103.5, 104, and 104.5, 4 chapters. Fukuchi attacks Rompo in Act 1. Act 2, Atushi hears Teruko's information. Act 3, Fukuchi and Fukuzawa's backstory, and Fukuchi defeats Fukuzawa in combat. As I said, all that means we're not going to wrap up the Merceau arc, so once again, Sigma fans suffer. One more thing I want to say about Season 5 before we move on to today's reactions to Chapter 108 of Bungo Stray Dogs. I'm shocked there is no light novel adaptation for Season 5. I saw hypotheses that maybe Season 5 was going to adapt the light novel 55 minutes because it does take place on Standard Island, which is where Fukuchi addresses the United Nations in Season 5, or that Season 5 will adapt Stormbrainer, given how little Chuya does this season, and if we could include Stormbrainer, that would foreshadow what might happen later, potentially in Season 6. If the manga eventually brings back Agatha Christie and Adam Frankenstein from Stormbrainer, and we bring them into Fukuchi's final moments whenever the current arc in the manga ends, that would be good setup to adapt Stormbrainer, introduce Adam Frankenstein, add to that adaptation Agatha Christie so that we remember who she is from Dead Apple. I don't know. When every season up to now has had a light novel adaptation, to not include one in this season, it feels weird. I mean, maybe they're saving that and there will be another theatrical movie and that will be the light novel adaptation. I won't act like every Bungo Stray Dogs light novel adaptation has been good, so it's not like you strictly need to include this as an adaptation. It's just that it is a tradition, and when you don't include it in the season, I kind of wonder what else you have in mind. The track record for the light novel adaptations has been all over the place, so it's not entirely surprising that we skip one for a season. The Season 2 Oda adaptation and the Season 4 Fukuzawa and Rompo adaptation are both excellent. Neither is entirely faithful to its source material, but both adaptations make sense on their own for anime-only audiences. 
They are engaging tales. They tie into their season. They help show complexities to Dazai, Fukuzawa, and Rampo. And Oda remains a compelling character even this long after his character dies. The season one Azure Messenger adaptation is messy. It still works for showing who Kunikita is so that you understand why his decision later that season to protect Atushi shows that he has changed and has progressed as a character. I'm not a fan of the season three Chuya adaptation. It exposes the misuse of Chuya as just fan service as what he really should be is the protagonist for his own series. He is instead shoehorned into this series and it doesn't fit. The anime adaptation also diverges from Ribbon's characterization in the light novel. That in itself should not be a bad thing. You don't need to be strictly faithful to the source material, but when you make a change, it should be to improve the story. And it doesn't. The change makes Rimbone's characterization worse. It reduces him to a one-dimensional comic book supervillain. As such, it's going to make things difficult whenever we ever get an adaptation of Stormbringer in the anime. Because in Stormbringer, we learn more about Rimbone, and you're going to realize that reducing him to comic book supervillainy is a bad choice. It doesn't fit. Seriously, don't watch the season three light novel adaptation. Buy the light novel, read that instead, or buy the manga version, which just has this gorgeous, creepy David Lynch-esque artwork in it. If I'm about 50-50 on the light novel adaptations, and if I think the light novels are disrupting the narrative flow of the anime, then why do I sound upset that we're not going to get a light novel this season? Excluding a light novel adaptation this season just means that season 5 isn't really season 5. It's just season 4 part 2. And given how I expect this so-called season 5 will end without any closure, I also think any season 6 is going to be stuck still trying to end this arc already. In effect, making season 6 really season 4 part 3, making this similar to the tiresome exercise of Attack on Titan having a final season, that just won't end already. <sighs> what bad luck. And speaking of bad luck... The number 108 is bad luck, so no wonder chapter 108 of Bungo Stray Dogs sucks. I know this is getting too negative too early in these remarks, but dang, this is that rare time where I think Kaka Sagiri screwed up. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's slow down now, let's transition, and go from the season 4 retrospective of Bungo Stray Dogs to talk about the newest chapter in that manga series, that being chapter 108, titled In the Small Room, Part 4. Bungo Stray Dogs is written by Kaka Sagiri and illustrated by Sango Harukawa, among numerous other illustrators, with translation by Kevin Gifford and lettering by Bianca Pistillo. The Bungo Stray Dogs manga is distributed in English in the United States by Yen Press, Available as an ebook at multiple vendors, a full list is available at yempress.com. Let's go through this chapter page by page to figure out what went wrong. 
we begin where we left off, with Sigma pulling a magnificent one up against Fyodor, aiming the gun at Fyodor, having told him not to move. We get internal monologue here, which is not the best visual design choice, given that it persists even when Sigma is silently asking Fyodor whether he wrote the note in Russian asking for help. Why Sigma assumes Fyodor wrote this note and that it wasn't Gogol, I don't know. Maybe we needed a line here to have Sigma say he recognizes the handwriting, unless Sigma did say so in the previous chapter, in which case that's my mistake. Moving on to the plot, seeing the note, Fyodor's eyes change and he starts to scream in Russian asking for help. Sigma keeps his gun aimed at Fyodor, telling him not to move, which just shows how foolish Sigma is going to be by the end of this chapter. But we'll get there, because Sigma isn't the only character acting out of character, acting in a ridiculous fashion when they should be smarter than this. That other character would be Atushi, who we see is still in combat against the vampire Akutagawa. Atsushi is trying to get through to Atsukagawa, saying that he knows that Akutagawa can resist his vampire infection because he already saw Akutagawa spare Aya's life. Why would Akutagawa, if he is so mindless, not just kill Aya? Atsushi realizes, you, Akutagawa, promised me you wouldn't kill. That means you're still honoring the promise, which means I know you're still in there. This is where things get silly. Atsushi absorbs a piercing attack from Akutagawa, who has modified his clothing into a shank. Okay, Atsushi takes the full brunt of that attack with his fist and lets himself get pierced through the hands. Not our character. Atsushi then proceeds to launch a tiger fist aimed for Akutagawa's head, until he realizes at the last moment, Akutagawa isn't trying to block or dodge the attack, which means once Atsushi's claws reach Akutagawa's face, those claws are so sharp they are going to rip apart Akutagawa's face. There are at least two problems here. First, Atsushi knows Akutagawa now has a healing factor, thanks to being a vampire and, hence, you know, dead already. Atsushi should know already that even if he managed to claw out Akutagawa's face, it won't matter. He couldn't let the attack go through. It would actually disable Akutagawa long enough to stop him because he would be down on the ground having to heal himself and recover from the damage. And, you know, as awful as it is to say, if he's a vampire, he's already dead, so you can't exactly kill him further. But... Let's assume Atsushi knows all of that, and he still can't bear to take the risk of potentially killing Akutagawa. Again, killing him further, because, again, vampire. This leads to the second problem. We couldn't show Atsushi still persist with the punch, just, you know, without the claws going through? That Atsushi realizes at the last minute, oh, my claws are out, I'll retract the claws, or, oh, if I unleash the full force of this, it might not just kill Akutagawa, it might mean he can't regenerate. That Atsushi at the last minute couldn't slightly redirect the attack so that it doesn't immediately strike Akutagawa right in the head. It could just hit him in the side of the head. 
All of this returns us to what I brought up just a moment ago in the Season 4 retrospective. Achishi depends so much on his Tiger abilities, he has not learned good hand-to-hand -hand combat. That means that at his strength, without his Tiger abilities, he can defeat but not kill someone so that he doesn't go all out of control whenever he does unleash that Tiger strength. This is a skill he needs to learn, that learn combat without using your Tiger abilities so that without them you could survive. This would be a great moment if it was building on Kunikita's warning. You could even include a quick flashback or a dialogue box saying, it's just like Kunikita warned me. But in chapter 108, it's not obvious. It's just Atushi stopping short because Asagiri doesn't want to end this fight yet. And because Atushi is the Miles O'Brien of the series and must suffer, hence why once Atushi hesitates, Akutagawa takes his chance, wraps his cloak around Atushi's limbs, and despite Atushi's smiling confidence saying, I know you're still in there, Akutagawa, and you won't attack me, Akutagawa takes that bet and immediately rips apart Atushi's limbs in grim detail. I don't want to call this gore porn, but when you make Atushi someone who can take this much damage and howl in pain over it, it is something else. This isn't the same as Wolverine taking damage and getting back up. This is seeing Atushi suffer. There is this age and personality difference with Atushi, where this is a young person getting brutalized. This is effective at making your audience feel badly, but if you are just making your audience feel badly, what's the point of just reading more and more and getting more and more depressed? If I wanted to demoralize myself, I would go back to reading My Hero Academia. So, Akutagawa rips apart Atsushi, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Before we see Akutagawa tear apart Atsushi, we cut back to Sigma, who is still confused why Theodore is screaming and asking for help, and boy, that is in audience surrogate moments. A smart person would get the gun still aimed at Theodore. Sigma, however, is so befuddled that they just stopped aiming the gun. This is such a problem. This is not the Sigma we saw at Sky Casino. Maybe Sigma is just feeling less confident than they did before. When we saw them on Sky Casino, Sigma put out a persona, granted a facade, but still, he had the skills to back it up, of being so self-assured that they could break a game of cards to help a customer, they could take down Teruko, because Sigma was that desperate and said, failure's not an option, I had to succeed and I will do whatever it takes. Is that why Sigma just comes across as less intelligent now, or less desperate? Was Sigma always this foolish and his confidence just fell apart after Sky Casino? I don't think this is consistent for Sigma's character, but what do you think? Let me know in the comments or email me derek.s.mcgrath at gmail.com. Anyway, back to the plot. Theodore stops screaming and sits up, asking what year this is. <laughs> Given how long this arc has been going on in the manga, I can't really blame Theodore for that question. Theodore goes on to explain that he has multiple personalities and that he is himself right now, but his ability is itself alive and has been possessing him 
and is this other side of him, and is the devil itself. Let's pause here and address this. This is all bullshit. Forget what the ending of chapter 100 Day is going to show you. This is bullshit even if you hadn't gone to this chapter yet. If you just know enough of the canon of Bungo Stray Dogs, if you've been reading this series, you would know Theodore's line. Maybe you could say that, let's say you saw the movie Dead Apple, and you want to insist, well, that's not canon to the manga. You can't use how Theodore's in that movie to justify knowing that he's lying here in the manga. That was only canon to the anime. Well, we do now have the Dead Apple manga, so it is pretty much canon. But let's talk about the film itself. In Dead Apple, Theodore is speaking with a manifestation of his own ability. And they are in agreement with each other completely. There is little difference in personality or behavior. Maybe you could call that early installment weirdness and say... That's what Office Sagiri went with, but then he changed his mind, and now he's doing something different. I don't believe this. Asagiri is usually so well-prepared in writing, in foreshadowing, in setup and payoff. All of this should be sounding every alarm in your head to realize Theodore is lying. That is why it's so infuriating seeing Sigma fall for this. I'll explain what Sigma should have done in a moment, but for now... I need to know what was the point of this in terms of storytelling. What effect is the writer trying to accomplish when having this unfold as it does in the story? Forget for a moment that this character is not acting in a way that I think this character would act. That is subjective and I will understand another reader or the author themselves saying, uh, yeah, that's not how you judge good writing. Okay then we judge good writing primarily on this is done to what effect why is asagiri doing this is asagiri wanting you and the audience to also fall for this trick if so asagiri underestimates the intelligence of his readers or is this like a horror movie where you realize sigma is getting this wrong and you're showing that sigma don't go through that door don't split up don't oh now the horror movie killer has killed you. And that's pretty much how things unfold in this story with Theodore shanking Sigma. But we'll get to that. Back to the story, Theodore stands up and pulls out a blade. Sigma does the only smart thing they had done this entire chapter, aiming the gun again at Theodore, thinking Theodore is about to attack him with the blade. And he got right the first time, Sigma. Too bad you didn't follow that instinct. Theodore explains the blade is magical. It is the sword called Kladinas, and it can kill Theodore's evil side. Um, sidebar, Kladinas is a magical sword in Russian epics and fairy tales. It's also known as the hidden sword. It's derived from the Slavic word Klod, meaning treasure or hoard. Is any of this going to be relevant later in this manga? I have zero clue, especially since Theodore is then going to tell us he was lying the entire time anyway, that this isn't Kladinas, so I guess it's just a literary reference. Anyway, back to the plot. Theodore offers the blade to Sigma. Okay, accepting the blade in itself wouldn't have been the problem. Because, 
yeah, maybe you could think, what if the blade is poisoned? What if touching the blade somehow poisons Sigma? That's a bit of a stretch. Rather, this is where I think Sigma really screws up. If Fyodor wants Sigma to kill him and kill his ability, then why doesn't Fyodor slide the knife over to Sigma instead of asking Sigma to walk up and take the blade from him? What, is the blade so fragile that if you don't hand it over, it's going to collapse immediately? That if you just let it on the floor, it's going to crack? Okay, how is that a good magical sword if it can fall apart that easily touching pavements? Why doesn't Sigma offer to just shoot Fyodor in the arms and legs so he can't get up again so that, yeah, that would suck for Fyodor, but would make sure Fyodor isn't getting up again before Sigma stabs him, which, based on the fact that even as a magical sword, it would probably still kill Fyodor completely anyway. It's not as if Fyodor needs to live through this. I mean, the suffering is horrible, and I'm speaking only in terms of fiction, not reality, but if this is characters acting as we think they should and Sigma is willing to kill as we saw in his fight against Teruko, why not just shoot Fyodor, then take the blade, then stab Fyodor? Does Sigma have only one bullet left and he can't afford to waste it? I know what I'm saying would screw up the pacing of the comics panels, but these are relevant questions that you can manage to ask and answer while keeping this paneling. You could have thrown in enough word balloons or thought boxes that would have addressed so much of this and would have calmed down and answered my ridiculous questions as one audience member. I mean, hell, Sigma is starting to ask some of these questions about, Hey, Fyodor, what exactly is your ability? And Fyodor says, You can ask me after you take the blade and stab me. And Sigma goes along with that. This is stupid. What rushes there, aside from there are only so many pages in the chapter, that Sigma has to say, Oh, you won't answer my questions? Okay, I'll do what you say because we'll have plenty of time for you to answer me later. And sure enough, Sigma reaches to take the knife out of Theodore's hand, at which point Theodore just rotates where the knife is and stabs Sigma and takes the gun from him. Theodore then admits this isn't a magical sword, it's just the night that he took off of one of the prison guards at Merceau. Sigma, the one person who almost beat Teruko, who can rig a poker game, who memorizes the faces, names, and behaviors of all of his casino customers, in Chapter 108 is just this incompetence. What a waste. Also, for all of the fans out there insisting Theodore wasn't lying and that he does have multiple personalities... He admits in this chapter this was all a, quote, act, and that he wants Sigma to believe him. And he says that the multiple personality claim was, quote, a rather contrived plot, end quote, and that the knife was the guard's knife. He lied the entire time, so please stop thinking Theodore wasn't just messing with Sigma. He has no multiple personalities. He's just this evil. And he has survived this long because every other character in this series just has to be written to be a fool. So, Sigma tries to grab back the gun from Theodore and gets knocked down again. He does not get back up. Theodore then mocks Sigma for thinking they could just join the agency, 
But since Sigma got this far, Fyodor has a reward for him. He can touch him and get any information he wants through his own ability. Because, you know, you can trust Fyodor this time, even when Sigma knows that touching Fyodor allows Fyodor to use his ability, which kills on touch, so that if Sigma touches him, it's going to kill him. Heaven forbid this story be smart, and God, now I'm just pissed. And since we had to end this chapter with another cliffhanger and more infuriating details, Fukuzawa is dead. Or not, seeing as Atushi can still use his ability in full control because Fukuzawa is still moderating Atushi's ability. In more infuriating news, Fukuchi gets the UN to unlock one order for him, Aya from far away witnesses one order opening, and she seems to recognize it. One fan online thinks that means something. I'm not going to spoil it here. It's not... This fan online thinks they know what exactly is in the container Fukuchi opens. I don't agree with this hypothesis. I don't think this is going to be the twist. But if you're interested in that theory, the link is in the description. Anyway, Bram Stoker ends our chapter telling us that the light we now see is what will end the world. And I just don't care. I just hate how this chapter wrapped up after this slog through our characters being silly, not because this is how they would act, but because Asagiri needed them to reach this point to get the plot to keep moving forward. I had defended Asagiri for having written unresolved plot threads and having so many cliffhangers, this is serialized storytelling, it's fine to draw this stuff out. The problem is when you have an audience that ages faster than the characters in the story. With all the experiences we have seen Atushi have in story, I can appreciate that in story chronology. Just a few weeks ago, he was told by Kunikita that his fighting skills are lacking and that he relies too much on his Tiger abilities. That is fair. But we've also seen how Atushi knows how to moderate the output of his Tiger strength. So even if I can understand that he is not willing to rip Akutagawa's face off, I don't believe he wouldn't just throw another super powerful punch without claws that won't rip off Akutagawa's face, although that punch might still break Akutagawa's nose. If there is any good to this chapter, at least the dialogue fits for each character. Harukawa's artwork and paneling are still excellent, Maybe the next chapter can redeem the flawed writing choices, but that's a month away from now when we see what happens in chapter 109 in August. But what are your thoughts? Am I being too hard on Asagiri? Am I ignoring how his storytelling choices are making the tale more compelling? Do you think Atushi and Sigma are actually behaving consistently given what we have seen from them previously? Let me know in the comments section or email me, derek.s.mcgrath at gmail.com. If you like what you heard, please let me know. Contributions at coffee.com slash derekasmcgrath and patreon.com slash derekasmcgrath are appreciated. Please include the notes to let me know what you liked in the live stream and what you would like to hear more of. And your contributions give you the opportunity to recommend works for me to cover each week. You can join other Coffee and Patreon contributors such as Emily Lauer, Ella Roach, and Alexis Duran. Thank you all for your support. 
If you have something in mind that you'd like me to talk about on the live stream, please let me know. I am setting up a list for the next couple of weeks of reactions, including what I would like to tackle during Halloween month in October. So if you have something that would be month appropriate, please let me know. And if you like what you heard or didn't like what you heard, please check out other people's awesome stuff. A blog roll of recommended people to check out is at my website, DerekSMcGrath.wordpress.com. Today, I want to promote the work of Ian Javier at the website Monsters of New York. I promoted earlier their posts about the good and the bad of the 2003 Ninja Turtles animated series. I recommend checking out their reviews and other remarks about the 2003 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles animated series. We had the new Ninja Turtles film coming out soon. The 2003 animated series has finally gained a complete DVD box set release. And I may have a surprise coming soon about that 2003 series, if I can get my stuff done. So until then, go read Ian's writing at mymonsters.wordpress.com. And one more thing before we wrap up today. Ohio is trying to block abortion access by limiting ballot initiatives. Please vote no on Ohio issue one in the August 8, 2023 election. And if you can be registered to vote in Ohio and live in Ohio, please check your voter registration information at vote.org. And speaking of Ohio, if the group Ohioans United for Reproductive Rights can get a vote on the November 7th ballot to enshrine abortion rights in the Ohio Constitution, and if you are in Ohio and can register to vote before that election on November 7th, Please do so to protect bodily autonomy, reproductive rights, and the right to an abortion. That's all for today. Next time, let's get back to live reactions, this time looking at Chapter 70 of Akane Banashi. Stay safe out there, people. Please make sure to mask up, get vaccinated, register to vote, campaign against fascism, and learn and practice anti-bigotry. Until next Sunday, I've been Derek S. McGrath. You have a good afternoon. Bye. Sunday Morning Manga is intended for information and entertainment purposes only. All names, pictures, and sounds are registered trademarks and or copyrights of their respective trademark and copyright holders. All original content is the intellectual property of the speaker, me, unless otherwise indicated. The views and opinions expressed on this live stream are those of the speaker, me, and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of any other persons mentioned in this stream. Aside from the names of Patreon and Coffee contributors, other persons, businesses, organizations, or entities mentioned in this episode are not sponsors of this episode. My remarks about those persons, businesses, organizations, and entities are not paid endorsements. The views and opinions expressed on this live stream are those of the speaker, me, and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of coffee contributors, Patreon contributors, or any other persons mentioned in this stream. Music today include the tracks titled Los Angeles by Music Production, Sunshine by Lemon Music Studio, Morning Garden, Acoustic Chill by Alexi. These songs are royalty-free and available at Pixabay. Links are in the description.